For it is just, that is the kingdom, just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two talents more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What an epic parable. I mean, that's huge. There is so much in this story. It's one of Jesus' longest narrative parables in all the Scripture. And He just gives us this extraordinary picture here. We get to unpack that picture. And because it's such a long parable with so much rich imagery and so many layers and elements, it's not surprising that there are a lot of different interpretations of this story that have, that have kind of been preached uh, throughout the years. And so I want to just take a moment first and let's talk for a second about what this story is not about. This story is not a story that, that Jesus was putting into the hands of preachers and principals to scare you into behaving. That's not what this is. If you notice, the one person in the story that is afraid is actually the third servant. And in essence, Jesus is making it clear, don't be like that guy. I don't know if, uh, if you had this experience with the story, but growing up when I was little, I remember going to church and, and the preacher stood up and said, you know, Jesus is coming back. He better find you doing good. And then he preached from this parable. 
and just began to just hammer us. I was about 10 years old, and the more he preached, the bigger my eyes got. And I just was thinking, oh, no, this sounds terrible. Jesus coming back, no, that's bad. Stay away, stay away. You know, and I just thought, oh, no, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and outer darkness. I don't want to be there. Woo, stay away. That night, because I knew that from this text, and we're going to talk about it earlier in the text, uh, Jesus said, you're not going to know the time or the hour. Nobody would know. I literally laid in bed saying, Jesus is coming now. Jesus is coming now. Jesus is coming now. Because I knew that if I could say it, then I knew it, and then therefore I could hold him off for a little longer. <laughs> right? I mean, I'm 10 years old and I'm terrified of Jesus. That's not what's happening here. That's not what's going on. There's actually something really rich something so much deeper, but you have to look a little deeper. You got to look at the context. Anytime you read something in scripture and it seems to contradict what you sort of know, then you got to begin to understand the context. That's a, that's a key thing. Anytime you read something from the Bible and you go, huh? Back up and keep backing up until you find the context. Actually, in this instance, it's not at the beginning of the chapter. It's at the beginning of the chapter before that that we find the context. So here's what's happening in this story. Jesus has just rolled into Jerusalem to pick a fight. He's picking a fight with the scribes and Pharisees. He's gone to the temple and he's cleansed the temple. He's turned tables over. And he's gone out and he's started from the temple saying, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He says that seven times. He's there to pick a fight. It's time, it's the end. And he's ready. He's going to address it. And then he says this temple, as he's leaving, he's walking out of the temple and he says all this, it's going to get torn down. And then he heads to the Mount of Olives and the disciples are a little like, okay, all right. So like, when is all this going to happen? What is it? And they come to him. And let's look. Verse, uh, this is chapter 24, verse 3. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus goes on to tell them all kinds of terrible things that are going to happen. You don't need me to read this list of things to you because you read them in the newspaper every day. They're in the headlines. Wars, famine, persecution. And unfortunately, they don't just stay in the headlines, do they? They move into our lives. They have a way of coming home instead of just being over there. If you live long enough, this stuff will touch you. All of a sudden, you'll be dealing with death. You'll be dealing with betrayal. You'll be dealing with brokenness. You'll be dealing with hunger. Jesus knew that. He knew that. He knew this would not be good. And when, as we get into this time, we begin to go, God, but where are you? What, what should we do in this time? What, what is going on? Jesus knew that. Take comfort that he knew that. And he said he will come again to set it right. And in between now and then, he wanted to make sure that we knew how to wait well. That's what's happening in this story. He goes on to tell three stories. Jesus does that a lot to try to drive home a point. He'll tell three stories in a row and he does it again. He tells a story about a servant entrusted to a household. 
tells a story about some bridesmaids waiting for the, the groom to come. And then he tells this story. We call it the parable of the talents. But it really could be called uh, lessons in waiting well. That's what's going on in this story here. And there's some things that we can learn from that about how to wait well. And the first thing that we see that Jesus is reminding us is to remember what we're waiting with. Remember what we're waiting with. This talent thing at the beginning, it's kind of confusing, right? Like what in the world is a talent? Let me show you. Hustle over here, sorry. It's kind of tucked way in the back. Okay. This is a talent of goat feet. So we think talent, sometimes we think a sum of money or whatever. That is really heavy. Uh, That weighs about 100 pounds, uh, which actually is about what a talent weighed. A talent is actually a unit of measurement. And in this instance, this is a talent of goat feed, right? What Jesus is talking about in this story is actually a talent of gold. So just imagine, and maybe, you know, God turned water into wine, maybe through this message she'll turn goat feed into gold, and, uh, and I'll go home and really be excited. But, um, but what is happening here is these are talents of gold, so when we're talking about it, sometimes we don't get the full scope and scale of the generosity here at play. A talent is about 20 years wages, it's the largest measurement. So if we take just, for us, the minimum wage, here in Florida, I think it's $8.10. I looked it up this week. Let's say uh, the first guy at that wage, 20 years wages times five, he got about $1.6 million. You see the extreme nature of the generosity God's showing? The second guy, the two-talent guy, he got about $650,000. And this third guy, who just buried it, he got about $325,000. You're talking significant sums. If you were starting a business and I came with two bags full of gold, would that change the way that you go about your business? Absolutely. It's a life-altering sum of money. And the interesting thing is that the first two guys, it does. It alters their life. And the third guy, it doesn't. Let's look at verse 16 and through 18 here. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. It's interesting. Did he really, did the third guy really even receive the generosity? Did he even receive the gift? I don't think so. Why the large sums? Why when Jesus is telling the story is he picturing just these extravagant sums of money? He wants us to see as he goes away, he has not left the cupboard bare. He wants us to see that he has been extremely generous to us while we wait He wants us to see that it actually can change our lives. So what is the gift? Well, he describes it as the kingdom of God come near. 
He describes it as life abundant. He describes it as a pearl that you would go and sell everything you own to buy. He describes it as finding a treasure in a field. Do you see this? One guy digs a hole and puts it in a field and somebody else comes along and finds it. Right? That you would sell everything to own this plot of land. It's the kingdom. We call it the gospel. It's the good news. And Jesus wants to make sure that we remember what we're waiting with and receive that gift. That's what he's pointing out in this story. Mandy and I had uh, two dogs when we were first married. We had Karen Terriers. You guys know what those are. It's Toto. Everybody seen Toto and the Wizard of Oz? We had two of those. Uh, we had little cream ones. And one's name was Kaylee and one's name was Kipling. And it's funny how dogs have personalities. You guys that have dogs, you know, they're totally different personalities. Kaylee was just alpha dog. I mean, she was just, you know, for real. And she was, she was so intense. We closed her in the bathroom in our first little uh, apartment that we lived in. And it had the whole place, interior walls and exterior walls were cinder block. It was, it was intense. And uh, she chewed off a corner of a concrete wall. I mean, just waiting for us. I mean, she was just the most intense dog, and she would just chase squirrels and direct birds in flight, and, you know, oh, she was legit. And then Kipling was so funny. He was just the opposite. He was just all love. He was like a hippie dog. I mean, he just, he kind of just floated around all the time, just love and peace. He just wanted to be pet. He just wanted, he wanted to be in your lap. He wanted to be cuddled and just, oh, man, he was delightful. And I just, I won't forget... Uh, the very first time we discovered this, but just a common occurrence, Mandy and I would be out and about doing whatever it is that people that don't have children do. Uh, I no longer remember actually what that is, um, but I, we were doing something uh, and we decided let's get some bones for our dogs. Let's take them some treats. That'll be fun. We go home. We're going to take them some bones. And uh, I decided no frou-frou bones. I mean, they're small dogs, but they're tough, you know, but I like, you know, I'm like a man dog, you know, and, uh, and so we got uh, kind of some, I got raw hide bones, right? And pretty decent sized bones. And I remember you walk, you would walk in the door and you would take these two bones and the dogs would both come to see you and Kipling would just practically spin circles and you would, you would hand him that bone and he did the cook, he would grab the bone, that's true, he would toss it into the air and he would leap up to catch it. Then he would jump down and he would run around and he'd go chew it for a little while and he'd come over and show you, isn't this bone so awesome? You know, and you're like, yeah, buddy, absolutely. You know, go over there. And then, then he would bring it over to Kaylee. Mm-mm. Bad idea, buddy. Bad idea. Kaylee was the total opposite. We would walk in with this bone, this <laughs> treat for her, and her, she would just, oh, I can't believe you've done this. Her ears would droop. Her tail was down. Look at this. Look at this thing that you, I mean, look at the responsibility you've just given me. And she would take the bone, whereas Kipling would basically leap and grab it out of your hands. Kaylee would do this. You know how dogs can kind of just barely lift like a lip up, you know? That's how she would take the bone, just, and just grab it. And then she would walk over into the corner. She would find the closest corner and she would drop it with a thud. And then she would lay down and scowl at any of us. Scowl at me. Don't try to go take that bone scowl at Kipling. Kipling would come over and all of a sudden she would just shoot out of that corner, you know, and just get him. Absolutely. Now here's the question. Which one of the dogs received the gift? See, I think sometimes we're so interested in protecting 
the good news. We're so interested in protecting the faith and protecting God and protecting in the church that we forget to receive the gift. We forget the absolute extraordinarily good news that Jesus has left us with. And he gives this extravagant amount to make sure that we know. Here's the question. When did the first two enter into the joy of their master? At the end? Yeah, fully. But they enter into the joy of their master at the beginning, soon as they receive the gift, because it changes the way that they go about their lives. We can too. We don't just wait for the joy of the master into the future. If we will receive the gift now, we can actually enter into his joy now. And Jesus wants us to remember that. Remember what we're waiting with. The second thing that we see from this story, the second lesson in waiting well, is to remember who we're waiting for. It's a very interesting thing that happens in this story. The two that were given the most would have the most to lose, right? But they're not the ones who bury it. Why? Well, we see this in verse 24. And the one who also had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. The word here for knew, I knew, is perceived. I know, I believe it to be true. I perceive you to be a hard man. Doesn't mean it's true. In fact, you see the master in the story take offense at that. You knew me to be a hard man? No way. That's not who I am. But your perception of who you were waiting for will significantly alter the way that you wait for that person. And it has a huge impact on how we understand that. We had a rooster, a lot of animal stories. Sorry, I love animals. If you don't, too bad, Uh, you know, because I got the microphone. And uh, and so we had this rooster. We had chickens when we lived in our neighborhood before. And um, we weren't supposed to, uh, so we didn't have a rooster because we had to keep it quiet. And uh, I'm pretty sure violating the HOA is a sin and you shouldn't, you know, so I'm confessing it here in church, uh, but I can't be caught, so I'm comfortable doing it because I've already moved. Um, So... When we moved to the farm, though, we, those of you that know we have a little farm, when we moved to the farm, we were really excited. We said, we want to get a rooster. We really want to get a rooster, and, and that's going to be fun. And we've picked out this rooster, and we just knew he would grow up to be big and beautiful and awesome, and he was going to you know, protect our chickens from predators and all, you know, and we were going to be. But we had heard that roosters could be a little mean. And so we said, mm-mm, not our rooster. No way. We raised that rooster in the house for a long time. We got him as a chick. You know, and he ate out of our hands and we fed him and, and, you know, we loved him. The kids would carry him around. You know, we took, he had treats. I mean, he, that, that's the, that rooster was the most loved and cared for rooster in the whole world. And the day came when it was time to put him out with his hens. And so we did. We set him out with his hens and we just sat back and we were like, yes, this is awesome. Now we have a rooster, you know, a lovely rooster with a hen. Meanest daggum rooster you have ever seen. 
All of us, our whole family, our, my children, you know, my wife, we all have scars on our legs from this dang rooster. I looked out the window one day and I see my wife running across the yard. And then right after her, I see Chanticleer. We gave him a name and everything. And Chanticleer was just running after her, knowing that he would claw her eyes out if he could just get to her. I mean, that guy was so mean. Why? Because he was convinced that we were there to harm him. He was convinced that we were out to get him. He was convinced that his job was actually to protect himself and his hens from us. He absolutely didn't know that we were kind and generous. He had gotten totally mixed up about it. My wife actually wrote a poem about him. It's intense. My wife's a literature teacher and she's a poet and, uh, and it's beautiful. It's called A Farewell to Chanticleer, the dethroning of a rooster. Yeah. You study me with deep amber eyes full of suspicion, fear, anger, aggression. Behind bars I never meant for you. The scars on my legs testify against you. You have one too many times spurred the hand that feeds you. And your deep conviction that I mean only harm for you, that you will hurt me before I hurt you, has brought about the very outcome you most feared. How very human of you. If you think that you serve a hard master, it will make you mean. Your only solution is to protect yourself from that master, from that God. That's actually how religion gets born. We make rules to keep us protected from that God and we try to live and conform to those rules so when that God comes back we won't be out of line. But that does not match the God that we know. That's a cosmic police officer trying to catch you doing wrong. Not the God that came and took on flesh and suffered on our behalf. And so it's critical if we're going to wait well, we have to remember who we're waiting for. Do you believe that you serve a God that wants to say to you, enter into my joy? Is that the God that we serve? Is that the God that you serve, a God that is longing to enter, to welcome us into his joy? The answer is yes, and we have to remember who we're waiting for. And the third lesson in waiting well is to remember that risk is rewarded. You don't double your money without taking some risk. And that's evident in this story. In fact, interestingly, the one who came back and had risked nothing and brought it back. The, the third master brought it back perfectly intact. He returned perfectly what was given. He was totally chastised for that because he took no risk. You see, when you understand what it is you're waiting with and you remember who you're waiting for, that gives you an opportunity to step out and risk in very unique ways. So often we turn our faith into a focus on what we don't do. In Kentucky, we say it like this, I don't drink or smoke or chew or go with girls who do. Done and done. 
But all of a sudden, our faith, the, the pinnacle, the peak, the goal of our faith becomes a good quiet time and the successful avoidance of sin. And there's got to be more. You don't double your money that way. You don't expand the kingdom in your own life and in other people's lives that way. What would happen if the third servant had lost it? What if he had risked and lost it all? The interesting thing is, is Jesus actually tells us that in Matthew chapter 18. We get that parable. We get the story. That's the same construct Jesus has set up. There is a master and he has entrusted a huge sum to his servant. And his servant goes away. And when the master comes to settle accounts, it's the exact same scenario. The master has, I mean, the servant has lost it all. Except in this time, look at the extravagance Jesus uses. Not five talents. If you read it, 10,000 talents. I think if I did my math right, it's about three and a half billion dollars. And it doesn't matter. Jesus' point is it's lavish. And he comes back and the master says, you got to pay the debt. It's your whole family. And the servant begs his forgiveness. And you know what the master does? He forgives him. He forgives him. The only reason he gets frustrated with him is when he won't forgive a much, much smaller debt that is owed to him. I believe that if the third servant had come back, had risked it and lost it, not on a payday, not on something, but if he had risked it, if he had put it into play and lost it and come back, the master would have welcomed him into his joy. The point isn't uh, that the return, that we focus on the return, the point is the joy that we remember what we're waiting with and that we risk to see that expanded. And it's easy to say, all right, well, how do I do that, right? I mean, easy to say, hard to do, like, okay, it's great for, for, for you. You're, you're like a professional Christian, and you can stand up and preach, you know. Well, you know, first off, like, my hands are sweating. I'm terrified every time I walk up here, all right? So there's just no, there aren't professional Christians. You know, I'm doing the thing that I think God has come, risking it right now with you. But how many of you like to, you know, cook? Anybody here like to cook? I know, if I ask you to raise your hand, everybody's like, are you going to give me a cookie, uh, you know, or something like, I'll give you some goat feed this week, all right, you know, it's, it's, it's similar, but yeah, you like to cook, and it's so easy to think, yeah, I mean, but what am, how am I gifted, right, I mean, what does that, what's risk look like for me, what can I do? Let me tell you two things, actually, of the way that God, I, I just this week heard stories of the way that God uses those simple things that are being risked for His kingdom and His glory. I don't know if anybody heard of the picnic project? Have I heard of that? I hadn't. It's just in Sanford. Uh, my friend, Eddie Koffoltz, uh, leads or does, I don't know how you say that, the, um, the New Activist podcast. He hosts. That's how you say it. He hosts the New Activist podcast. And he tells stories every week of just regular people doing some pretty extraordinary things as they put their gifts into action just to see justice and reconciliation on the, on the earth. And this week he told a story about the picnic project. It's in Sanford. Every Sunday, so today at 1 o'clock, uh, don't all go because we'd overwhelm them. Uh, at 1 o'clock, there will be a group of people who sit down for an extraordinary meal. I think it's about a little over 100 folks usually that gather for an extraordinary meal, some of whom are homeless. The guy that, that started this was a guy named Mark Thompson and, and, and a friend, and Mark is a chef in town. And he just said, you know, I was feeling like I just, I wasn't, I didn't know how to put my faith into action and I was looking for a way and I didn't know what to do and I saw that there was a need and so I just thought, I can cook, so I'll just 
just cook some food. He said he made burritos the first time, just showed up to the park in Sanford and made some burritos and just handed them out. Totally nervous. How's this going to go? And now week after week after week, he fixes extraordinary food. Look, look at these pictures. We just grabbed some snapshots off their website of the food that he fixes. I mean, this is, you know, again, now you're all going to want to go there today. But, uh, you know, this, look at this next. I mean, just amazing food week after week after week. Now, here's the interesting thing. What is Mark's gift? Cooking. You ask him, hospitality. He was going, I just, I wanted to put my faith into action. I wanted to take a risk. I wanted to step out. I didn't know how to do it. I knew how to cook. And so I just decided to cook. And now every week, Mark serves up food to a hundred folks, many of whom are homeless. This extraordinary meal. But you know what he serves up more than food? He serves up the kingdom. He serves up the good news. And for those of us that think, ah, I mean, I just, what can I do? It's amazing what happens when God takes our small gift and multiplies it in extraordinary ways. Our job is to risk it. Heard stories this week about uh, folks, actually several, that are hosting Digging Deeper studies for the first time. So we've never done this. Never had a Bible study in our home. I just, I never, but we just decided, all right, we're going to do it. Let's risk it. Let's invite some folks over. And all of a sudden, we're hearing stories back of, you wouldn't believe what God does. I mean, I open my door, I cook up some food, and then people show up. We talk about the scriptures, and extraordinary things happen. See, the amazing thing is it's actually God who comes and multiplies as we offer what he has given to us. Risking feels nerve-wracking, doesn't it? makes you nervous, your palms sweat a little bit. Now here's a question. When is the last time your palms have sweat as you follow Jesus? Have you settled into a good quiet time and the successful avoidance of sin? Or do you recognize that we just have this one life and Jesus has given us an opportunity to make it matter for good, not out of guilt, not out of responsibility, uh, just, I mean, not out of fear, but it just out, out of responsibility to respond to the good news that he has given us and to the good God that he is. If you'll listen and you'll follow him, it'll make you nervous but you'll be a part of some extraordinary stuff that he'll do in you and through you. My daughter has this uh, poster in her room. Uh, it's kind of a, a, a really popular uh, poem. It's, it's a quote from a popular poem by Aaron Hansen, and, and you guys may, may spot it. Uh, and I love to picture the scene that leads up to it. There's this two birds in a nest at the top of a tree. And it's a mama bird and a baby bird. And it's time for the baby bird to leave the nest. And so the mama bird is just pushing her forward and pushing her forward. And the baby bird gets just up to the edge and looks over the edge and turns around and goes, oh, but what if I fall? And the mama bird says back, oh, but darling, what if you fly? You realize you were made to fly, right? As we live in this world of trouble and difficulty that doesn't just move into the headlines, stay in the headlines, it moves into our lives. God has given us the tools to fly. Yeah, it's risky. It's a little scary. But you were made for this. So let's fly together. Would you pray with me?
God, we, we honestly can't fathom the depth of your generosity. I mean, it doesn't make sense. You know us. You know our sin. You know our faults. And yet you have lavished grace upon us. Unmerited favor beyond what we can imagine. And you have enlisted us to participate with you in redeeming the whole earth. Even that in itself is a gift beyond what we can imagine. And so God, help us to receive your goodness. Remind us of your grace. Remind us of your goodness as we wait. Help us to keep our eyes on you and not be distracted. God, may we fly to you. Come, we pray. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.